this is for report 60 on productized services. Let's talk about why this topic matters. Productized services allow freelancers to move from selling their time to actually selling outcomes. They can extricate themselves from the business and build systems. Instead of just building a valuable business, they can also build a sellable business. The problem that productized services solve is that some problems still require a human touch. The outputs can be predictable even if the inputs aren't completely automated. If you imagine a transcription service where you know exactly what you need back, you need an accurate transcription of a podcast, for example, internally that may not be fully automated, but we can make this experience resemble the experience of buying a product. So what's a productized service? A productized service is simply a service at a fixed price with a clear scope and a clear timeline. I'm going to use an analogy here where if you imagine a freelancer as a personal chef who will cook anything for anyone, if you want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, they will go to the grocery store to get the ingredients. If you want a burrito, they'll go to the grocery store and get the ingredients versus a productized service is more like a restaurant and they have a menu and they'll only make you what's on the menu. And when you limit the options, you're able to build systems and build scale into your business. Hence the scalability of productized services compared to agencies and freelancers. So I already gave some examples around transcriptions. There are productized services in the design space around video testimonials bookkeeping services, design sprints, copywriting, usability testing, podcast editing, video editing, lead generation, WordPress support services like WP Buffs, incorporating your business. There's a clear outcome around what we expect to be done, although it may or may not be fully automated internally. Visas as a service in terms of helping you get your visa to another country, providing language tutoring services in terms of there's a scope around, we're gonna practice for 30 minutes each week, uh, also around repurposing content, where if you look at PodReacher, they'll repurpose podcasts into blog posts. Let's talk about some predictions around productized services, where the first prediction is that software will eat services. As soon as we talk about productizing something, we're talking about establishing standard operating procedures so that we can build systems internally to handle this task. So the fact that we're providing some structure around this, we're moving towards this definition of the job, towards this thing being more self-serve, towards it being AI-assisted, towards it eventually being completely automated. A few examples to make this more concrete is if you look at QuickBooks, where they use machine learning to start to categorize transactions after you train the model a few times, and that's doing the job of what bookkeepers would do before in terms of categorizing expenses and revenue. There's also the example of Testimonial Hero, where they'll capture video testimonials from your customers for you. And now that runs up aside Testimonial 2 and Video Ask. These are two tools that collect asynchronous video of testimonials. So perhaps price is the thing that you're optimizing for over quality. You may go for a Video Ask or a Testimonial 2. The quality may not be as guaranteed as what you're gonna get with the Testimonial Hero if you don't need that high production value. Another example, if you go to the AI-generated content report, you can see an example where design, something as creative as design, is being automated there where I believe it was a Russian guy, he was selling logos for over $1,000 a piece for a whole year without being suspected that these are all AI-generated. We can also look at AI-generated copy tools where they help copywriters and non-copywriters be more productive. 
There's another prediction saying that new platforms will court productized services for them to build on top of their platform. This is done for a few reasons. If you think about a platform like ConvertKit, they may not want to move from a more scalable business model like software to services, but it behooves them to have productized services built on top of them compared to another ESP. If you think about what Jason Resnick does with NurtureKit, where he'll move anyone from another ESP like MailChimp want to ConvertKit that aids ConvertKit, but ConvertKit may not want to do that. This is a pretty bad example because ConvertKit actually has a concierge plan where they'll do this for you. It actually lowers the embedding effect of competitors. Whereas take TransVC, for example, if I say, I don't want to go through the switching costs of switching from MailChimp to ConvertKit, they handle that objection if they say, okay, we'll do that for you. Now that objection is out the window. There's still some education friction around still using this tool, but that's one big objection when it comes to switching SaaS tools. A few other ways that platforms court productized service providers. If you look at Notion and AWS, they both offer certification programs to professionals to build on top of their platform. If you look at Webflow and Shopify, they have partner directories that you can get added to to make discovery easier. We already talked about ConvertKit, but ConvertKit and QuickBooks, they also have affiliate programs for service providers that choose to build on them. So back to Jason, if Jason takes advantage of the lifetime recurring commissions of ConvertKit, he can build his own micro SaaS within his productized service offering, and he's moving larger accounts onto this platform, which means even more income for him. On to another prediction, which says that SaaS companies will continue to offer productized services. So we jumped a bit ahead to talk about ConvertKit here, where they're basically migrating prospective customers or actual customers off of other ESPs. But a few other examples here, if you go to pretty much any SaaS company's pricing page and they have enterprise plans, you'll see that a lot of times these come with account reps and you can think of this as customer service as a service, if you will. You can also look at HR software like Gusto, where perhaps you need access to an HR pro and they have plans for that, where they bundle a productized service with the SaaS tier. There's another prediction saying that productized services will move up market. So contrary to popular belief, quality tends to go up the more focused that a productized service gets. They're building systems around these things back to practicing one kick 10,000 times. Some examples of productized services moving up market. Categorically, if you look at the rise of Fiverr Pro relative to Fiverr, you can also look at productized services like Testimonial Hero, where Sam was comfortable sharing that their average order value is around $9,000 and their LTV is around $50,000. You can also look at companies like Very Bad Wizards, where they do design sprints from two weeks to four weeks, ranging from around $16,000 to $27,000. So those are just a few examples of these upmarket productized services. And that sort of goes against the grain of a design pickle where you're getting quote unquote unlimited design, which we really know it's not unlimited, but you're getting unlimited design for about $300 a month there. And there's this misconception that productized services by default are on the lower end. And that's not always true. Another prediction is that we'll see more managed marketplaces being built around productized services. In 59, we just talked about managed marketplaces. A few examples, a lot of people are familiar with Fiverr. That's well known. There's also Cameo for celebrity shout outs. There's AirDev for finding no code developers. There's Preply if you're looking to learn languages. You can just check out the managed marketplaces report for more examples of these marketplaces that are actually built around productized services. 
Another prediction, and this is slightly pessimistic, is that VCs will continue to mistake productized services as venture scale opportunities. If you look at Atrium, if you look at Zirtual, if you look at a few cleaning companies, they just routinely make this mistake of thinking that this time is different. Perhaps they can get in on the marketplace side, back to Fiverr, back to Preply, back to even Cameo, but the unit economics are just different compared to a marketplace versus a productized service. These are cash flowing businesses, great businesses, but they are more PE plays. And sometimes they think, oh, there's just enough tech or this time we can bring the marginal cost down, but that just tends to be false. And I see this happening over and over again. On to another prediction saying that more companies will outsource non-core competencies like accounting and HR. The thinking here is that companies are competing on distribution even more than code and definitely more than these operational functions. And this just fits an overall trend of containerization. If you think about cloud kitchens where you can just show up and cook and you don't have to worry about locating real estate and acquiring kitchen equipment and all of that, you can just show up and focus. You think about D2C brands where they can just manage the brand and outsource the manufacturing and just focus on that competitive advantage. You even think about companies like Lyft and how they're leveraging Twilio. They didn't have to rebuild Twilio from scratch. That means they can just focus on building marketplace liquidity as opposed to building these primitives that they actually need to run the business. And all of this is leading to smaller firms, i.e. the million dollar one person business report, which you can check out. On the opportunities, the first opportunity is saying to index into an existing market. I get DMs each week from founders with pitch decks and ideas, and sometimes they tout that this has never been done before as if that's a good thing, and that's actually usually a bad thing that you have to ask, why hasn't this been done before? Whenever possible, I do suggest indexing into an existing market. You're taking less market risk. The demand has been proven, and at that point, you just have to worry about capturing demand rather than trying to create demand. Just go in and niche or position yourself differently. Again, back to capturing that demand versus creating it. Another opportunity is saying white label services, and you can get in on the demand side or the supply side here. So an example where WP Buffs, they'll offer to be the back end for your service. If you're better at sales or marketing and that's your comparative advantage, you can just manage the client relationship and take the spread between what you charge them and WP Buffs charge you. If you're better at the supply side, you can take the role of WP Buffs and just focus on supply while others come to you and use you as their back end. So there are two ways to enter that white labeling opportunity. There's another opportunity saying to offer software with a service. We've talked about this in the prediction section, back to ConvertKit's concierge service, back to the fact that you can actually weaken competitors and betting effects by offering this. Another advantage of this is that you can augment unwritten code. And by this, I mean that perhaps you don't want a lot of waste or a lot of bloat in your code base. You can do it by hand. You can man in the middle a feature for the first 10 or 100 times so that by the time you do go to code this up, you know exactly what needs to be built and there's little to no waste there. Another opportunity is around building a branded framework or methodology. One risk that's created earlier if you choose to index into a market is that you risk racing to the bottom. If on top of that, you choose the positioning angle and create this branded framework, then you give yourself pricing power and you escape that commoditization. Some examples here are uh, Scribe Media, where they have the quote unquote, the Scribe method. That allows them to set themselves apart from other ghostwriting services. Another example is Good Patch, where they do sprints and they have the designathon, which they've trademarked. And this gives them more white space when they're able to set themselves apart from competitors and have some sort of pricing power in these competitive verticals. Another opportunity is around building on an existing platform. So 
you can think about this, and this has a lot in common with microSAS, where you're competing in these walled gardens or these pre-built communities versus the World Wide Web. Again, you have these pre-built communities that you can go in and be helpful and build relationships. You have certifications, again, back to Notion and AWS, where you can use these certifications by getting them. You can signal trust to potential customers. They also have directories that you can use to get added to for discovery purposes. And a few platforms that you can build on top of and productized services are already being built on top of. Shopify, Notion, Webflow, WordPress, QuickBooks, Coda, Card, even HubSnacks. They're building tasks on top of HubSpot. Another opportunity is around productizing your knowledge. So now we're moving on to digital products and this allows you to have lower marginal costs, but not only that, you can actually combine digital products with productized services. As we talk about value ladders and creating these tiers, value ladders have a lot of benefits. One of them being that they raise your average order value. Another benefit being that it helps you anchor your prices. So by having a tiering system, Let's say your lowest offer is 500 bucks, but your highest offer is 10,000 bucks. The $10,000 option, even if few people purchase it, helps frame the $500 offer. There's another opportunity to productize your pain. And what I mean by this is spin out internal tools that you've built. Brian Castle did this with Process Kit, which came from challenges that he faced at Audience Ops. Mini Requests is a SaaS that came out of Mini Pixels. Basecamp is possibly the king of dog fooding here, where they've written about this in different books. There's another opportunity to sell credits or packages. So you'll see a lot of times where productized services have subscription plans, but that's not always possible and it doesn't always make sense, but that doesn't mean that you can't fast forward revenue and you can't take revenue in ahead of time. So by selling credits or packages where perhaps someone uses four out of six credits, but they have two credits left, you still already recognize that revenue. Recognize is sort of a tricky term. I don't mean that literally in an accounting sense, but you have that on the books and you can reinvest that now, sort of like insurance companies and companies that sell gift cards where they have the float on hand and they can use that float, although they still technically have a liability. We already talked about building value ladders and it can be composed of just services like punchline copy, or you can mix it like Hector from Indie does, or you can do it with SaaS like Gusto does for a higher tier. You get access to these HR pros back to the benefits of building these value ladders out. There's another opportunity to reduce risk for customers. If you look at Podreacher, where they'll convert your first podcast to a blog post for $75 for that first offer, you can test it out without putting too much on the line. You can look at Design Pickle where they go further and do risk reversal where they offer a 30-day money-back guarantee where perhaps some of these graphics that you received were useful, but you weren't satisfied with the overall experience. A few other opportunities, and this is audio only, they'll probably get cut from the report. You can think about building high-fidelity systems where we haven't talked about operations yet. A lot of building a productized service is about leveraging that predictability that you have to build systems internally, even though the output is standardized and the output is clear. It's on you to represent this and to make this an efficient process in terms of how do you accomplish this outcome. You can use Loom videos where videos are easier to create, they're easier to consume as well, and they just carry a lot more information than if you think about written documentation. The advantage of written documentation is that it's easier to change as user interfaces change, as processes change. You'll have to re-record a whole video as opposed to just editing some text there, or you can combine 
both of them or just think about what are you really optimizing for and go for that option uh, based on where you're at right now. Another opportunity is around building a marketplace for productized services. And this may seem like a big lift, but there are examples of people from the indie hacker angle actually doing this. If you look at Mentor Cruise or Mentor Pass, where Kenny, who's a Trends Pro member, is actually building that out. Then there are these bigger plays. If you look at Clarity.fm and Cameo, just a few more examples of marketplaces being built around productized services. Another opportunity is around accelerated learning, where I recently did an interview with Bilal from Creator Lab, and he asked me if I had to do Trends VC all over again, how would I approach it? And I mentioned two things, that if I had access to capital, I would get a coach who's done what I wanted to do and also join a community. And the same applies to productized services. You can look at Tyler Gillespie, where he has a coaching service called Productized Mentor. He also has a Facebook community called Productized Community. So to accelerate your learning, you can take advantage of those opportunities. You could also use lead magnets, where there's a company, Clicks and Leads, where they have a five-day challenge that they use as a lead magnet. And this combines two ideas of growth tools. There's a report on that, but also internet challenges. There's a report on that. And this lead magnet used by them combines both of those ideas. On the key lessons, the first key lesson says that productized services have different properties than other business models where it's more scalable than an agency or a freelancing practice. The sales cycles are also a lot shorter because it feels like customers are buying products although there's teams behind doing work in terms of the inputs to make this standardized output, the marginal cost of a productized service are actually higher than SaaS. And this goes for monetary and non-monetary costs, where instead of scaling servers, you're scaling teams, which is more expensive, but it's also more complex, where scaling culture is harder than scaling servers. There's another key lesson saying that Productized services bring transparency to transactions, sort of like a marketplace in terms of marketplaces facilitate these transactions by making the buying process easier and resemble a product more than a service. We remove the negotiation, we remove a lot of the friction, and you're telling me this is the scope, this is the price, this is the timeline, and now my confidence has shot up in terms of my willingness to make this purchase. I just purchased a transcription service from Rev.com for a previous audio episode that I did, and it felt just like buying a product. There were a few upsells that they had in place, but there wasn't a back and forth. There was a flat rate. Even for the upsells, there was, you're going to be charged 10 cent per minute for this upsell and for this add-on, uh, and that was very clear and upfront. And a few hours later, I had the output, even though a human was involved in that, that part was abstracted. I didn't see that part. I had a clear timeline, a clear scope and a clear price. Another key lesson says to minimize market risk. So this goes back to the competitor risk report where we talk about zero to one that happens once, but one to N is infinite. And this matters a lot in productized services because usually we can have a conversation around, should I try to go zero to one? Should I take this market risk? Since productized services exist in fragmented markets, I can't think of a case where you should try to go zero to one because you put in all this work for R&D and you can never establish a moat because these are not winner take most games. Back to the competitor risk report. There's another key lesson saying that specialization allows you to build systems you have some type of predictability by saying, this is how I work, this is what I work on, and this is who I work with. So this predictability allows you to build these systems out, again, back to practicing that one kick 10,000 times. Even if you're practicing it in different environments and on different people, that's still that one kick. And it actually makes your ability to deliver on that service more robust because you've seen so many variants of this one kick or this one service 
that you have been delivering. There's another key lesson, just going back to productized services are not synonymous with lower quality. It often means the opposite. Back to the surgeon, if you have a surgeon that just does knee surgery or just does heart surgery or just does LASIK, that person is gonna be a lot more experienced and be able to deliver much higher quality than someone who's a generalist. Another key lesson is focus means saying no. So as clients come back to you with, I need this additional service that doesn't fit into your offering, it's not on the menu of what you have to offer, you're gonna have to say no because to say yes, that breaks your predictability, that breaks your system, at which point you stop becoming a productized service and you're more like an agency where you're doing everything for everyone. Another thing is around specialization carrying risk. So there are a lot of upsides to specialization, but one downside is that by concentrating, you've also concentrated your risk and you become more fragile. If you think about the lead generation services, a spam law can wipe them out, whereas an agency that does lead generation, PPC ads, and all of these different things, a spam law may cut off that side of their business and they may go from 100% capacity to 70% capacity, but a highly concentrated productized service where that's all that they do, that can take them from 100 to zero overnight. And a lot of people building lead generation services are actually worried about that threat right now. Another thing is making a distinction between valuable and saleable. So if you look at agencies or productized services that are built on personal brands, they're valuable, but when you compare them to productized services that are built on non-personal brands, those tend to be valuable and sellable. And then when we look at systems and subscriptions, this just increases the multiple at which you can sell at. We hear more stories of productized services being sold compared to agencies being sold and at much better multiples. On to the haters. The first hater says that this doesn't scale like SaaS. It's not the final step either. You don't have to stop here. Some examples, Brian Castle and Craig Hewitt, they have productized services, but they also have SaaS companies that they built after building the productized service. And again, SaaS has lower marginal costs and it's generally a better business model and more attractive business model than productized services, but they lobbied that context and that domain experience into a SaaS and used it to stair step up in Rob Walling's language. Another hater says that productized services have lower AOVs, average order values than agencies. And what you have to think about here is whether you're trying to play a value game or a volume game, that higher AOV may come with a much longer sales cycle. And the question is, how many deals could you have done at a transparent price in that time? You also don't exist in the vacuum. And there's a question of, are the alternatives also trying to practice value-based pricing where they're trying to eke out the last dime from clients or are you in a vertical where you're facing other productized services and they're willing to quote flat rates for high quality work? The market is gonna win if you're trying to stand out and that's just what works in that market. There's another hater that says freelancers aren't going anywhere and I agree. You probably want a freelancer, especially for design services where you're looking for context to be carried between project to project and you don't want to be just a piece of work in a queue where you don't know if the same person that worked on your last project is going to pick up this one or perhaps they're working on something else in the queue or perhaps they've left the company versus you can have a more intimate client relationship if you do go to a freelancer or an agency, for example. Another hater says that indexing into markets is a race to the bottom. We've addressed this, but we've also talked about not stopping there where you want to niche and you want to position yourself differently to get some of that pricing power. Also, without taking that market risk, that just isn't smart in a fragmented market because even though that's a high risk bet and I can acknowledge that as a game to be played, although I wouldn't play it, 
I can't see the rationale of playing that in a fragmented market where you're going to do all of this upfront work to do this R&D where you're actually not playing a winner take most game. So you don't get the majority of those spoils or even a meaningful part of those spoils. Perhaps you become a category leader. Perhaps you don't. It's just a very high risk game to play at that stage. Another hater is saying building on platforms presents platform risk. And I talk about this a lot, but I would say that platform risk is less of a threat in productized services than micro SaaS, because you think about what platforms are going through here, where to compete with you at the productized service level, they have to essentially step down from this low marginal cost business of software to a higher marginal cost business of services. And that's just not a rational thing to do in most cases, unless they absolutely have to, unless that's part of their strategy back to ConvertKit. But still, people work with Jason to move them on to that platform. And he also provides other services. So I think it's less of a threat here. What's probably more of a threat is not replacement, whereas these platforms may start to ingest and do things natively that popular SaaS tools, external SaaS tools were doing. When it comes to services, perhaps they've actually removed a feature that you've come to support. And a lot of your revenue perhaps comes from supporting that feature that they no longer have on that platform. So there's still some platform risk, but it's of a different nature. Another hater is saying that taking market risk can work, and I've conceded that it can work. It's just not smart to do it productized services because, again, these are fragmented markets. So you take this market risk, but you aren't rewarded for it. You actually get a first mover disadvantage in a lot of ways, where first mover advantages tend to be overrated, especially outside of winner take most markets. Another hater is saying that freelancers can still sell outcomes and they can, they can sell outcomes, they can do value-based pricing, but if they're selling a lot of different outcomes to a lot of different types of businesses or customers, that variability is inversely correlated to their ability to build systems. There's so much unpredictability that it's, it makes no sense to build a system at that point. That freelancer is still not offering a productized service. They're just a freelancer selling outcomes. There's another hater saying that systems can kill creativity. And this just comes down to the type of game that you want to play. Jocko Willing says that discipline breeds freedom. And I tend to agree with that. But if you have something against systems or you think that this is boring, even if you're not the one actually executing the systems, because again, an advantage of productized services is that you can start to pull yourself out of the business and work more on the business again, back to selling outcomes and not time. But if this worries you, just choose another game to play. And last but not least, another hater is saying that, what about newsletters? This is research as a service. So I would have to go back to the analogy of the freelancer being the personal chef, the productized service being the restaurant. If something isn't made to order and it's just the same thing being made for everyone to consume, I would add to that analogy and say that the newsletter that's not made to order or made for one client is actually more like a consumer packaged good, which is a better business model. But this distinction is important to make because it means that you're actually playing a different game than you're playing in productized services. So just don't mistake one game for another because they have different properties. And when you mistake one game for another, that's when you lose. On the related reports, the first related report is anything as a service. And this was the first take at productized services. But in that report, all of the examples were subscription based. This report includes one-time sales and subscription sales. 
Another report to check out is around competitor risk, where we've talked a lot about indexing in the market. So if you're interested in that concept, you can dive deeper there. You can also check out digital products where we've talked about combining productized services with digital products or selling your knowledge instead of selling your time. Again, this has lower marginal cost than productized services have. Another report is around no code. In terms of building systems, you can reference that report in terms of how to make your internal processes more efficient because you've sold the outcome and now you can play with the inputs and take the spread from the efficiencies that you create. Another report is around micro SaaS, where we talked about the similarities that productized services and micro SaaS have when it comes to platform risk. You can also find opportunities to combine productized services with SaaS models. Two reports around customer acquisition. You can check out the report on marketing funnels. You can also check out the report on lead generation. And then when it comes to geo arbitrage in terms of selling services in one country and then hiring from another country and benefiting from that spread, you can check out the remote work report. This spread is closing like all arbitrages. It tends to fade over time, but it's still available as we speak. There's another report on AI generated content, and this starts to get into creative areas that are being automated like design, like video production. And there are more examples there in terms of where the boundaries are being pushed in terms of what can be automated. Last but not least is the Managed Marketplaces report where it looks at Fiverr and Clarity.fm. And you can even think about things like Mentor Cruise where these are marketplaces being built around productized services. I'd also like to thank the people that helped out with report reviews this week. Brian from Process Kid and Zip Message, Tyler from Productize.Services, Stuart from Channel as a Service, Sam from Testimonial Hero, Quinn from Conversion Crimes, Yolanda from Sprint as a Service, Hector from Indie, Jacqueline from Plot Reacher, Jim from the Human Centered Maker Series, Chris from Lasky.co, and last but not least, Craig from Product Buffs. I hope you enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to your thoughts. Thanks for listening.